Did you guys have a good Christmas? Oh my goodness, I had an awesome Christmas. My kids are like the perfect Christmas ages, like eight, six, and three, right? Those ages where they're like banging on my door at 5.15 in the morning, like, is it time yet? And you're like, no, seven o'clock, baby, get back in bed. Do you guys remember when you were a kid at Christmas, right? Like back before like instant face chat, whatever, and back when we used to go to school, like actually go to school, right? And so you'd, you'd get up Christmas morning and you'd open all your presents. And then like a week or so later, you'd go to school and you'd see all your friends. And what's the first thing you would ask them? What'd you guys get for Christmas? So that's my question to you this morning. What'd you guys get for Christmas? What did we, as believers in Jesus, as his sons and daughters, what did God give us for Christmas? Because we have a father who gives wonderful gifts. And there's this cool list in here of Christmas gifts that I want us to check out this morning. But here's the thing, in my family, there's a tradition. So Christmas morning, before you're allowed to look at any gifts or unwrap anything, we have to tell and read the Christmas story. All right, so everybody gets up, we get in the living room, everybody sits around, somebody reads the Christmas story, we pray, and then we check out all the presents. So that's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna tell you guys the Christmas story probably not the way you've heard it so far this season. And then we're gonna check out our Christmas presents, all right? Okay, the Christmas story we're gonna look at today is found in Romans chapters one, two, three, and four. Okay, Romans is probably my favorite book in the Bible. It's a unique book because see, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And most of the books that we have written by the Apostle Paul, we're kind of jumping into the middle of the story or narrative of that book. So what Paul would do is he'd go to an area, he'd plant a church, then he'd leave, and then he'd find out some things in the church that were going on, maybe aren't doing the right things, maybe having some problems. And so he'd write a letter to them. Hey, after I told you all that stuff and I trained you, you made some mistakes, read this letter, correct some of those situations. And those letters are awesome because... I don't know, we make mistakes, I make mistakes, and I need some correction from time to time. But Romans is different. See, in Romans, Paul never got to go to Rome. So he starts in Romans from square one, and he systematically lays out the reason for Christianity, the reason we need Jesus. He lays out the reason for Christmas. That's what he does. So Romans chapter one and two, he starts out by saying this. He says, listen, we all know inherently that there's a creator. Way deep down, before we were brainwashed by secular education, we know. Like, and I'll prove it to you, okay? Look at this building, right? When you look around this building, what do you see, right? You see steel and glass and we got concrete and bolts and rivets and studs and wheels and hydraulics and electricity. And what do we know inherently about this building? Somebody built it, right? We didn't have an elders meeting one morning. We pulled the parking lot like, whoa, that's incredible. Where did this come from? Somebody built it. Now look out those windows. What do you see? Firs and pines and cedar and madrone and oak and maple, right? If you could zoom in, you'd see mice and deer and raccoons and possums and squirrels and bears and innumerable little insects. Somebody made that. 
That didn't just happen. And we know that inherently. That's what Paul says in Romans. We know there's a creator. But not only do we know there's a creator, Paul goes on to say, we also know that there's right and there's wrong. I was reading a bunch of studies this week and they've done tons of studies, secular studies, Yale University, something covered by CNN, with toddlers. And toddlers inherently know there's right and there's wrong across every culture, across every nation, across every race, across every religion, there is right and there is wrong. There's an inherent code. And so Paul says this, knowing inherently that there's a creator and knowing right from wrong, what did we do? We rebelled against our creator and we did wrong instead of right. And I know some of us are sitting out there and they're like, no, no, wait a minute, dude. Like, I, I'm a pretty good dude. All right, I'm not that bad. But the problem is that you've got the wrong scale. It's not the system, it's the scale. See, you're not comparing yourself to your crazy drug dealing neighbor. That's not the scale. The scale is we have to compare ourselves to God's righteousness and perfection. And when we compare ourselves to that, we've all rebelled and we've all done wrong instead of right. That's why he culminates in Romans 3.23, this first part of his message. Here's what Paul says, a verse we all know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if that's where Romans ended, we should all just pack up and go home. But it's not where Romans ends. In fact, Romans 3.23 is followed immediately by Romans 3.24. Says this, we've fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short, but there is a gift that is offered, redemption through Christ Jesus. That's Christmas. That's the Christmas story. We don't use this term redemption very often. I think the best way to understand it is, don't raise your hand, but have you ever had to pawn something? Right, so you go down to the pawn shop, you give them something valuable, and then what do they give you? They give you a redemption ticket. And there's a a number printed on it, and it's the amount of money, the payment necessary to redeem that item and to get it back. That's what Paul says. When we sinned, we pawned ourselves. And the price for redemption is death. And we can't pay that. And so God left heaven and invaded earth to save you and me. That's Christmas. Like Christmas, I I love the nativity scenes, right? With the cute little angels and the manger and the wise men and the shepherds. Okay, but Christmas is that, but it's also D-Day. Like you guys know D-Day, June 6, 1944, when Hitler had all but conquered uh, continental Europe and the allies and the British troops, they, they rally on the British Isles and they invade and they storm the beaches of Normandy. Do you know what? Um, war historians tell us, the moment that the Allies made footfall on the, Allied, on the beaches in Normandy, the war was over. Victory was assured. 
Oh, it took another 15 months of battles and trials and tribulations to mop things up. That's the time we're in right now. But for the time that Jesus was born, victory was assured. That's why the angel tells Joseph, Mary's gonna bear a son, you're gonna call him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Right, and then in Luke, Jesus opens his ministry and he says what? I've been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind. Christmas is when God left heaven and said, I'm gonna go get my kids back. That's Christmas. And then Romans goes on to say that that redemption is available simply through faith. You don't earn it, you don't do good works, you just have faith, Romans chapter four. And Romans chapter four explains that faith is this. Faith is belief, right? I have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, creator, redeemer, sustainer, the son of God. But I also have to accept him as Lord and king of my life. That's faith. Faith is belief and acceptance. And so the story of Christmas is very simple. I was doomed, and so God came to save me. And if I believe that and accept him as Lord, he'll redeem me. What a cool Christmas story that is. Like we could be done right there. If all we got was redeemed, wouldn't that be enough? Isn't that so much more than I deserve? But we get a ton more, and we find it in Romans chapter five. These are the rest of our Christmas gifts. Once you've been redeemed, you also get five more things. It says, therefore, Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There's five Christmas presents in this little passage. We get justified by God. We get peace with God. We get access to God. We get grace from God. And we get hope in God. That is a haul. That is a big pile of Christmas presents. And they're amazing. Let's check them out. So the first thing we get is this. We get justified by God. Justification has also been called the great exchange. I grew up in a church that taught it like this. Justification means just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. So do any of you guys do gift exchanges? Like where you do family gift exchange or company gift exchange or whatever, right? Like where everyone picks a number and then you can go and you can steal other people's gifts, right? And then you guys do the thing where like whoever has the number one can steal any gift at the very end, doesn't matter if it's like locked down or not. Okay, we do. Um, so here's the deal. The craziest gift exchange I've ever been a part of, hands down, is the Edgewater staff gift exchange. So the first year I got invited, the thing is there's no rules. Like normally there's like a price limit or there's like guys buy for guys. There's like no rules. Okay, there's no price limit set. There's no nothing set. And then it says on the invitation, because I, I get to go as an elder, it says that it's a white elephant gift exchange. But it's not. 
right? Like a few people do white elephants, but some of them don't. Okay, so I go, first time, seven years ago, this actually happened, right? Big giant gift exchange, I show up, it's my first time. Somebody grabs a gift, they open it up, and inside is a brand new iPad. And I'm like, what? Like, why did I pick that one? Like, I brought like Christmas potholders, okay? I needed a little more guidelines here, people. An iPad? What is going on? Okay, same gift exchange. I did not make this up. Same gift exchange. Someone else picks their gift, all excited. There's an iPad over there. And they open it up, and inside is a giant can of pork and beans. What are you supposed to do with that? You You turn it into a sermon illustration. That's what you do. Because this is a perfect picture of justification. Jesus is over here. He's got all of his good deeds. He's got his perfect life. He's got his untainted relationship with his father. He's got his righteousness represented by our iPad. I mean, it's amazing. And what do I have? Sin, rebellion, a pawn ticket I can't pay, unrighteous. I've got a giant can of pork and beans, right? That's what I brought to the party. But not only does Jesus have the iPad, He's also got the number one slot. And at the end of the gift exchange, he walks over, says, hey, I'll give you my righteousness. I'll give you my perfect standing with my father. I'll give you my good deeds, and I'll take your pork and beans. It's the greatest gift exchange ever. Here's what Martin Luther says about justification. He says this, This is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, wherein by a wonderful exchange, our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ, not Christ's, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. Justification. It means when God the Father looks at you, he sees me exactly the same way he sees his son, Jesus Christ. This is so important to get because it's our number one tool in combating the lies the enemy wants to tell us. You're not good enough. You're worthless. You screwed up again. No, 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 no. That was my pork and beans. Jesus took those and he gave me his righteousness. That's an amazing Christmas gift. We get it through faith, just the same way we get redeemed. All right, so not only do we get justified, we also get peace with God. It's number two. Okay, now, Peace with God, if it was a Christmas present, it would be one of those like three packs where they're all wrapped in the same paper and then all the, one big ribbon because it's really like a three pack. Okay, because here's what peace with God is. There's three parts to it. Part one is this. God is at peace with us. That happened the instant I put my faith in Jesus Christ. He redeems me, pays the cost of my sins. He justifies me clothes me in righteousness, and he makes me at peace with God. In fact, Romans goes on to say, we become God's 
sons. It's a peace that's received through faith. Without God being at peace with us, we're destined for judgment, which will ultimately lead to damnation and separation, right? But with peace with God, because of faith, we have fellowship and adoption into his family. We have a future home in heaven. We have glory. We have hope. It's absolutely amazing. And it's a free gift. God is at peace with us. But there's other types of peace because there's this other thing where it's us being at peace with God. Because there's times in my life where even though God is at peace with me and always will be at peace with me because of the work of his son, I'm not at peace with God. I think the best way I can illustrate this is I have a three-year-old son and it was a few weeks ago, I can't remember what it was, but I was telling him he had to do something, right? It was like, and it was something good. It was like, well, not good in a dad's eyes, not in a son's eyes. It was like, eat your meat, right? Or like take a nap or go say sorry to your sister. And he just lost it, as three-year-olds will do, right? He's, I don't wanna, 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 wanna, right? Over and over, like for like a minute. And I'm like, I don't wanna. And I find that, I just grab him. And I write down, hey, bud, listen, listen, bud. I understand that you don't want to. Okay, I hear you, but now you need to understand me. You're going to, okay? The option is not do or do not, it's how sore is your bottom going to be by the time this is accomplished, right? Because <laughs> I want someone to enjoy him someday. God wants people to enjoy us. And there are times in my life where I'm not at peace with God because I'm standing over here going, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. God says, you're gonna. I promise to make you like my son. We gotta walk through this. See, God being at peace with us comes through faith, but us being at peace with God, that comes through obedience comes through obedience. And the opposite of God at peace with me is damnation. But the opposite of me at peace with God, that's stress and angst and discontentment and trials. Now hear me, this is super important. I am not saying that if you are stressed or discontented or if you have angst in your life that it's because you are being disobedient to God. Okay, that's bad theology. What I'm telling you is this, if you are being disobedient to God, you will have stress and angst and trials and discontentment. And when I find myself in those places, sometimes I have to stand back and I have to go, okay, Lord, am I throwing a tantrum over here because of something you've asked me to do or not to do? Because peace with you is available if I'll simply obey. And it's a wonderful thing to walk in. Okay, so God is at peace with us through our faith. We are at peace with God when we obey. But finally, God will give us peace in our circumstances if we'll surrender. Because you can have obedience with God and you can have justification and peace with God, but still be stressed and in angst and just no peace in your life. And God would say to you and me this morning, just lay it down. He says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's peace. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you.
And if you're stressed this morning, and if there's things you're just carrying around and you're, you're walking in obedience as best as you can, we all make mistakes, know that God wants to take that. We weren't designed to carry stress and anxiety. We were designed with strong backs, oh yeah. God gave us all sorts of tasks. Spread my word, care for orphans and widows, have godly marriages, raid godly kids. Those are heavy tasks that God called us to do. But there's other things that are too heavy for us. Stress, anxiety, worry. God says, those are too heavy for you. Give them to me. And I know in my own life, sometimes I'd be like, I just don't wanna unload on God. I think God would be like, dude, I already took your pork and beans. Like seriously, right? Like, what, you think you're gonna scare me off? Just give it to me, and I'll give you peace, and I'll give you rest. It's a gift. It's a Christmas gift, right? So we get justification from God. We get peace with God. And then thirdly, we get access to God. Anybody else, 2020 has made me really value access Right, because like everything is closed. There's no access. Disneyland's closed, the zoo's closed. I was supposed to be driving my kids to the San Diego Zoo today. Nope, it's closed, right? Campgrounds were closed, schools are closed, restaurants are closed, the government's open. Can we make a trade? Can we close the government and open the restaurants, please? We just, <laughs> I wanna go out to dinner. Access. But you know what? Heaven's open. The church is open. Our king's throne room is open. And he would say to us this morning as a Christmas gift, he'd say Hebrews 4.16. He'd say, therefore, come boldly. Why can we come boldly to the throne of grace? Because of what we just received. We've been redeemed. We've been justified. When we step in God's throne room, he sees me as his son right? And we're at peace with God. That allows us to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We've been given access to God. But here's the thing. If access was a Christmas gift, it would be like a season pass to Mount Bachelor absolutely worthless if you don't use it. And the more you use it, the better of a gift it is. Make 2021 the year you wear out your season pass. We have access to the throne room of grace. We just have to use it. It's a Christmas gift if we'll take advantage of it. And one of the things that I love that is always drilled down from this church, it's, it's one of my favorite things, is that relationship with Jesus Christ is not a formula. And it's not religion. So when you come up here to get prayer or you sit in a counseling session, we're not gonna tell you, hey, you just need to pray more and read your Bible more. Right? That's religion. But here's what I know. Sometimes I just need to pray more and read my Bible more because that's access. That's how we get access. We get access to God's throne room through prayer and through his word. And I just need to get access. I wanna wear out my past this year because it's been given to me, right? I mean, what a cool gift is that? 
And we get it freely because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in coming and being born and living and dying for us, Christmas. All right, so what do we have so far? We've got justified by God, we've got peace with God, we've got access to God, and then fourthly, we've got grace from God. Now, grace is an unbelievably important, weighty subject. You could spend months and months discussing grace. Matt says it's the gasoline for the Christian life. But I wanna share with you just one thing about grace because this is what God's grace means to me. It means God will never give up on me. That's grace. I get justified once, but I need grace every single day. That's why the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning, because I need them every morning. No matter what I've done, no matter how many mistakes I've made, doesn't matter my failures, no matter how many times I stand over here and I stomp my foot and I say, I don't wanna, God never gives up on me, and he never gives up on any of you either. Until the end of days, God will never give up on you. That's Christmas grace. But here's the thing about grace as a Christmas gift. It's the gift that's supposed to be re-gifted. It is. This is that gift that God gives it to us and he says, now go give this to other people. It's the only one. I can't justify someone. I can't give someone peace with God or access to God, but I can extend grace. Christians are supposed to be grace conduits where grace flows through us. And what we have to remember is this. When did I receive grace? Did I receive grace when I was doing awesome or when I was a wreck? When I'd sinned again, when I'd messed up again, when I'd hurt my father again, when I'd stamped my foot again. That's when I received grace and that's when I'm supposed to extend grace. That your mistakes failures and sins, even if they hurt me, will not keep me from giving you a fresh start. They won't keep me from giving up on you because that's the grace I've received and that's the grace I've been asked to extend. If you do nothing but receive grace and you never extend grace, you'll die inside. That's the Dead Sea. It's got an inlet and no outlets, and it just becomes concentrated and concentrated and concentrated, and eventually everything in it dies and it stinks. But if we will allow ourselves to receive grace from God and then turn around and extend grace from God, we become a beautiful running river, and it flows in one side and it flows out the other. It's what I want for all of us in this next year, to be receivers and extenders of grace. And I know the argument here. The argument is like, if I extend grace to that person while they're sinning and making all these mistakes, won't that validate what they're doing? No, they know they're doing wrong. They'll know right and wrong by the way you're living your life. That's why God says it's kindness that leads to repentance. And we're to extend grace to people and invite them in. Man, come be justified, be redeemed, gain access to the throne. It's beautiful. Extend grace. And then finally, we've got hope. Anybody feel like they could use a little hope next year? Just a little hope? 
Like we all put our hope in some interesting things last year, right? Do you guys remember two weeks to flatten the curve? Remember that one? Two weeks, baby, we'll flatten that curve. I hope, no. Um, the hope in God that we're given in Romans chapter five is an extremely interesting hope. It says this, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our hope is in God's glory, his weightiness, his hugeness, his absolute incredible power. That's what I have my hope in. My favorite verse about the glory of God is Genesis 1, 16, part B. It says this, he made the stars also. It's the middle of the creation narrative. And he said, hey, I made trees and I made the plants and I made the animals. And at one point in the narrative, God writing his autobiography about creating the earth is like, oh yeah, I made the stars also. Do you understand what an incredible statement that is? Do you guys know how big stars are? You don't. I know you think you do, but you don't. I don't, I can't, I've been geeking out on it for the last week and a half. But here's the thing. The star that we know the most about is our sun. Our sun puts off the equivalent in power of one trillion nuclear bombs every second. Every second. And that's what God made. It's also huge. Check this out. I got a video. I didn't make it, but I found it online. That's the earth right down there. There we are. Almost one million earths would fit in our sun that God made. But our sun's not even that big of a star. Right? The biggest star we know about is the one that's coming up next. It's called Canis Majoris, um, which in Latin I think means the big dog. Um, look, you can barely even see our sun at this size. Like, it's so huge. But here's the thing. God didn't just make a few stars. That's what blew my mind looking at this. Like, this is the Milky Way. Right? This is the galaxy we live in. Here's us down here, this little teeny tiny point. It'll show us in a second. Have you ever gone out on a clear night and just looked up the stars and been absolutely amazed by how many there are? Like, all you could see was the stars in that little circle. On the clearest night, that's all you could see. But God didn't just make the Milky Way. Like, he made other galaxies too. And some of them make ours look tiny. Like, here's this one. I don't know, I see what scientists are uncreative. That's... <laughs> seven times the size of the Milky Way. The Milky Way, our galaxy, has 100,000 million stars. 100,000 million, which is also 100 billion, but it's a cooler number. These are all galaxies, bigger than or the size of our Milky Way, taken by the Hubble telescope. Check this out. All of these galaxies, all of these were taken in that little square of sky. God made that. And it was so offhand to him that when he wrote about making, he goes, oh yeah, I made the stars also. This is where we live. Yeah, absolutely, you can clap. That's amazing. Right? And you keep going out and you keep going out. There it is. All the way back in. God made that. 
And when he made it, he goes, ah, yeah, I made the stars also. It's been estimated that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on earth. Think about that the next time you go to the beach. And every one of them is a million times the size of our earth. And when God made that, he goes, oh yeah, I made the stars also. Five words, I made the stars also. Do you know there's 200 words in Genesis chapter one about what he did when he created us? Right, because this is also cool to me. I think of God as so huge, how could he care? But God is also so concerned with detail. It all says there's also more atoms in one grain of sand than there are stars in the universe. God is concerned with the infinitesimal detail as well as the extremely huge. And you know what the most important thing of all is to him? It's you. He wrote five words about creating the universe and he wrote you a book. He wrote you a book to say, listen, I know it's tough and you can't do it by yourself. So I'm gonna come to save you. Just put your faith in me and I'll redeem you and I'll justify you. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll take your pork and beans. I'll give you access to my throne room. I'll give you grace from God. I'll give you hope, man. You know what this tells me when I see that video? It says God's bigger than my marriage problem. God's bigger than my wayward son. God is so much bigger than that mortgage payment I'm freaked out to make or whether or not my business is gonna fail. God is so glorious and he loves me and he was born for me and he died for me. How cool is that? The greatest Christmas gift of all. And we get to celebrate it. We get to come here and we get to celebrate it. And one of, the, I think, the coolest ways that we can celebrate it is by taking communion, right? Because what does God say? Jesus, when he's sitting with his disciples, he says, take this in remembrance of me. And as I was studying this, these last couple weeks, every time the thoughts would come back to my mind, you know what I kept remembering? I just kept remembering how much my father loves me. That he would give me gifts like this. That he would justify me and give me peace. I mean, the creator of the universe loves you. And he wants us to remember that. So Father, today as we take the bread, as we eat, I pray that we would remember that you love us. We would remember that even though you're the creator of the universe, a hundred thousand million stars in just our galaxy that you also know every hair on every one of our heads. You know every single one of our names and you died so that you could write those names in the Lamb's book of life. Father, may we remember that as we eat together. You know, the angel told Joseph that Jesus was born and that he would take away the sins of his people. And I'm so thankful that through faith in him, we can be his people.
and that he takes away my sins. Amen? What a gift. Let's remember that together. Now listen, if you guys have been around long enough, you know every Sunday we offer prayer and baptism. Man, if you need prayer, if you need peace in your life, if you need to pray that God would help you to be at peace with him and stop walking away in disobedience, if you need prayer for a loved one, if you need prayer for anything, there will be people here available. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never acknowledged him as creator and redeemer, if you've never said, you're Lord, and I need you to pay off my pawn ticket because I can't do it, that's available too. Come, talk with the pastor. They'll walk you through it. They'll pray through it. If you make that decision, you can go outside and be baptized. We'll dunk you in that water. That water doesn't save you, but it represents something. It says, I go in old, covered in sin, a nasty can of pork and beans, and I come out with your righteousness. It just represents it. It says, I identify with Team Jesus. It's available this morning. God has given us so many gifts. I think he just wanna say Merry Christmas. Amen? Father, thank you for your wonderful gifts. So undeserved, but so thankful for being received. Father, may I take advantage of them. May I access your throne and may I receive and extend grace, Lord. And when I feel like all my hope is lost, I pray I would look up at the stars and remember how big you are. That the God I serve and worship created the universe. And when he wrote about it, wrote only five words. But he loves me and he loves you. So Jesus, thank you for that. Be with us as we go this day. In Jesus' name, amen.